At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I wonder if uh, you've ever taken the time to really think through a couple of truths. One, I wonder if you've taken the time and you've pondered this for a while or really come to, to grip with the truth that God owns everything. Have you ever really just thought about that? You know, you think about that, that there was a time when everything that's here on this earth wasn't, but God was. Right? God always has been from eternity past. God always has been. But then in a moment, God began to initiate creation. And that from his very voice and from his, his words, things come into being. So like planets form just by his very word. So all the elements that we have on the periodic table came from God. All the gold that is still hidden under the, under the ground, it came from God. Everything that we have comes from God. He owns everything because he created everything. And so if God owns everything, then that means everything that we have belongs to God. Ever thought about that? Oh, you may have worked and you may have some things, but every, if God owns everything, then everything that we have belongs to God. To God. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says this The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So the psalmist is reflecting on this beautiful truth and is saying, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, even the people that are on it. So you and I belong to God. Haggai chapter 2, verse 8 says this, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says this, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives the ability to produce wealth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, You are not your own, you were bought at a price. See, God owns everything. And everything that we have is a gift of grace from God. And the beautiful thing is that everything that we have is a gift from God, but God calls us to be a steward or a manager of God's resources. So in essence, God is inviting us into this ministry of stewardship, an opportunity for us to partner with the Lord as we manage the resources that he's given us. And here's the cool thing about it, is that God gives us a lot of freedom with the resources that he gives us. Some of the resources he gives us are purely for us just to enjoy. Right, how many of you guys enjoy pizza? Right, on, on Friday nights, it's part of our, our family tradition, we try to get pizza, and I love sitting around the table with my family as we share stories and we talk about our weeks, and we eat pizza. That's the only reason God created pizza. Right, it's for our enjoyment. 
so that we could eat it and we could taste and see that the Lord is good. So God gives us things so that we may find pleasure in them. We may find joy in them. But God also calls us to manage these things in a way that honors him. And as we've been taking a look at this series overflow for the past three weeks, one of the few weeks, one of the things that we've learned is that when we talk about our generosity and we talk about our giving to the Lord, God doesn't measure our faithfulness with a number, right? He doesn't just say, here you go, you give 10% and you're good to go. As though we can get to a, plot, a spot where we say, okay, I'm done. I've given the Lord my tax. And then we can move on. No, the Lord pushes us more and more to be faithful and to be more generous. And when we truly understand this reality, this truth that everything belongs to God, then when we give, we are only giving away God's resources to others. It, the, the truth is, it's always easier to spend someone else's money, isn't it? Right? It's always easier. Right, I, I love having a, a church uh, credit card so that I can make expenses and all, all of those things. And I love the fact that I can go to the store and buy stuff for the church and it's not my money. I mean, it is my money because I've given to it. Right, It's so much easier to, to, to buy things and to give things away when they're not yours. And this is the idea that God wants us to embrace when it comes to money. The more we hold it, the tighter it becomes and the harder it is for us to give away. But the more loosely we hold it, the more willing we are to be generous with it. Today, I want us to see as we look at God's word together is that giving is more than money. It's ministry. Giving is more than money. It's ministry. And what we're going to see as we're continuing this, this uh, passage today, the idea of overflow, meaning that, that God has generously filled our lives with these amazing gifts of grace. And God gives us these gifts of grace so that they well up inside of us and then they overflow into others that are around us. And as we've been walking through this book, we see that what Paul has been up to is he's writing to the church at Corinth to encourage them to continue to grow in this area of generosity. And Paul's clearly going to say that giving is the ministry of the saints. That those that are followers of Jesus Christ, part of our ministry or part of our life is giving. And so what Paul has been doing is Paul has seen the need of the Christians in Jerusalem. Those that have come to faith, come out of Judaism and come into faith in Jesus Christ. And by doing so, they've lost everything. They've been disowned by their families. Many of them are homeless. Many of them are without work. And Paul then sends out an urgent plea to the churches in the surrounding area. And one of the churches that he calls upon to be generous is the church at Corinth. Corinth was a, a pretty wealthy city. Many people were well-to-do and they were well-off. And Paul comes to them and says, hey, see the needs of your brothers in Jerusalem and give of your resources so that we may help them. And so Paul is encouraging them to give. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this, and what has happened is that the, the church in Corinth was eager to give when they first heard of the need. And now it's almost a year later, and they still haven't fulfilled their commitment. So Paul is writing back to them to encourage them to fulfill the commitments that they made and to continue to be generous. And so today, as we look at this passage, what we're going to see is that Paul encourages the church, encourages you and I, to grow in the ministry of generosity. 
He gives us three ways that we can grow in the ministry of generosity. Look with me in verse 1 of chapter 9. Paul writes, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying, in, saying that Achia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So what Paul first is encouraging them to do is to commit to give. Make sure that they commit to give. And he begins with this phrase, now it's superfluous or it's redundant for me to write this or it's not of need. And basically what Paul is trying to say is, I'm sure I don't need to remind you. I'm sure I don't need to remind you about this ministry of giving. He doesn't need to remind them for one very good reason. Because this is not a new idea. This ministry of giving was not a new idea that just popped into Paul's mind, but this was something that they'd heard about over a year ago. And at that time, when they heard of the need, they were ready and eager to give. Now this, he refers to this area of Achaia. Now Achaia is, is the region, and Corinth is actually the capital. So he's, he's tying it all together and saying, hey, we know that the, the church in the whole region was excited about it. But we also, when we heard about your excitement, what we did is we went to Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is in a region that's in the north uh, to Corinth and in that area. And he, the, he went there and went to this impoverished church and told them of the need, but then also told them about the generosity of the Corinthians. And that welled up inside of the Macedonians that this poor church was stirred up in their zeal so that they committed to give money and they pulled their resources together and they gave their monies to Paul. And Paul was going to take this collection to Jerusalem to help the church was there. But what's happened is a year later, Titus comes from Corinth to where Paul's at and tells Paul that the Corinthians hadn't yet followed through with their commitment. Oh, they had a lot of excitement about wanting to give, but now when the rubber meets the road, their commitment has kind of dwindled. And we don't really see in Scripture why they haven't followed through. We don't know the reason that their giving was interrupted, but we see maybe it was life interrupted their good intentions. Maybe they had become lazy. Maybe they had, uh, were going through a season of a lack of trust where they, they couldn't see, they, they couldn't give their money away so that the Lord could use it to bless others. They trusted in their finances more than they trusted in the Lord. Maybe it was the worries of life that came. Or maybe they saw money as their source of security and they were unwilling to give it away. Something has gotten in the way. And we don't clearly know, but we do know that Paul now is encouraging the church to move from good intentions and move from good desires to actually following through with the act of committing the act of giving. Now we understand that making a commitment to give and seeing money as ministry, we need to understand that all that we have, God can use. Everything that we have, God can use for his glory and his kingdom. And sometimes we just need to come to the place of where we ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with it? What would you want me to do with this, whatever you've given me? I wanna share with you a quick video uh, about Scott's story where we'll see how the Lord has led him in the area of generosity. Generosity. 
Hi, my name is Scott Shibley. I'm 23 years old. I grew up in a Christian home, and ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to be an artist. I went to college at the Cleveland Institute of Art. I went there to study automotive design. And when I was in college, uh, I was really career focused and kind of fell out of my faith a bit and really focused on trying to find a job um, in this career field of being an artist. And I also loved painting as well, but didn't know how I wanted to use that gift. Um, after college, I moved here uh, to Detroit to start a career as an automotive designer. Um, and I also started going to Woodside at the same time. And during that time, I uh, really was able to reconnect with God and reaffirm uh, my faith in Him. I really felt like God was calling me to something more than just my nine to five job. Um, I'm a single guy and I think uh, God was calling me to use my gifts during that season of singleness um, and not just kind of dwell on that. And so I really prayed a lot about what I should do um, and how He wanted to use me. So during that season of prayer, God really started to speak to me. And he was showing me some posts on Instagram, actually, of somebody who went to my school. And he started a ministry out in California called Faces of Santa Ana. And what he does is paints portraits of people experiencing homelessness. He then sells those portraits and then gives the proceeds back to his clients. And I really felt like God was asking me to step into a ministry like this, but I really wasn't sure quite how that was gonna happen or if I was the right person for that. Um, but I decided to give Brian a call and we chatted over Zoom. Um, and he was like, hey, do you want to start a Faces of Detroit? And I was like, uh, sure, I guess so. That's pretty intimidating, but I'd be willing to try a portrait and see how it goes. So actually the very next day, um, I was driving home from church and I saw a man on the side of the road, his, uh, holding up a sign and he was asking for money. And I went up and introduced myself and we started talking and I had mentioned to him about the ministry that I just now agreed to do. And he agreed and thought it was a great idea. So I got his picture and I started working on his portrait. Um, and his name is Manny. So when I finished Manny's portrait, uh, I set up a portrait reveal with him. And so what that is, is basically a time where I can show him really how God sees him. We were able to do his portrait reveal and he was super blessed and it was a very emotional moment for both of us. As I was looking back over the footage when I got home, I realized that we were doing this reveal in front of a huge map of Detroit. And I was like, that's kind of crazy. We didn't plan this at all. And so I felt like God was calling me to go back over there and take a picture of the map. And he was speaking to me like, this is where your ministry is going to be on this whole map. And that same moment, somebody came up to me and said, hey, I'm homeless and I could use some food. And I was like, okay, that's kind of freaky. Like, God, is this like some, another person? So I introduced myself to him and we started talking and his name's Kevin and he was my second portrait. And so at this point, I've now done six portraits working on seven and I've sold two already. So once a portrait is sold, I work with the client to uh, figure out what they need and how they want to spend their funds. So I actually help them steward their money in a way that's beneficial to them. Uh, many people have reached out to me expressing how this has blessed them and really changed their perspective on the homeless community. And 
I feel so thankful um, just that God has blessed me with this gifting to create um, and to bless others in our community. God gives us each a gift for a reason. Um, and I believe that if we just take a step of faith and reach out, that he's going to use that in ways that we couldn't even imagine. Isn't that amazing? That God, everything that God gives us is a gift from him that he can use to glorify his name and also bring others to know him. And so everything that we have can be ministry. And so many times we talk about uh, finances and we talk about the gifts of, of money that God gives us using it for ministry. But sometimes God gives us a gift that we can use for ministry. So what an amazing story. Maybe God is challenging you uh, to, to give of yourself in a different way. But in order to do that, we have to come to the place of where we just ask him. Where we just say, God, it's all yours. Just show me exactly what you want to use this for so that your name may be glorified. You know, today I want to take some time and just uh, remind us we have finished up our fiscal year. Uh, last week was the, the last Sunday of the year, and today starts the new calendar year, the new, the new budget. And if you would, just for a moment, take out your bulletin. I want to uh, draw your attention to something. You know, we're talking and we're walking through uh, this series on generosity. And, you know, I, I kind of struggle with it a little bit because I'm like, well, our, we talk about it every week. We almost talk about generosity every single week. And this has been the year that this is where I think our church has grown the most. As we look back and, and so many of you have chosen to choose faith over fear. For this has been a year that has been full of opportunities to fear. And so many times when we begin to fear, we begin to isolate and insulate ourselves. And we want to hold on to things. And this church, you guys have been so generous just in your giving and the way that you have been faithful to all that. So today I wanted to just celebrate that. I wanted to celebrate that. If you look in your bulletin, you will see that as we closed up last year, we ended up $83,136 over budget. Can we give God praise for that? Many of you this year have made the commitment to give. You've said, okay, God, I'm setting it out. I'm going to do this because I believe that you can, you can take what I give and you can use it to glorify your name. I want to encourage you that as we look at this next year to begin considering what commitment are you going to make this year? What commitment are you going to make? Many of you started out last year by taking the $5 challenge, and you said, okay, I'm going to give $5 a week, $20 a month. I'm going to give that, give that to the church, and may the Lord use that. Well, I would encourage you to consider increasing that, moving from $5 maybe now to $10. Or wherever you're at, I want to encourage you to move from starting out, move towards the tithe. 10% is a good uh, measure. But then for some of you, the, the commitment this year is to move to this, the stage of generosity where you're moving beyond the 10%, where each year you're trying to give 1% more and 1% more and 1% more. I know some of you have already taken that challenge and you're looking at it and you're like, eventually, like, we're going to be giving everything away. And I know that as we give, we see the Lord coming and is faithful to provide for our needs. So commit to give this is what Paul is encouraging the church. He's saying, just commit to it. You've already, you have the eager desire to do it, but now follow through. Make the commitment and live in it. The second thing that Paul wants us to see as he's talking to the Corinthian church is that 
uh, he wants to help us prepare to give. Like make preparations in giving. Not only committing, but make preparations. Look at me in verse 3. He says, But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians came with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you, but for being confident, for being so confident. What Paul is telling the church here, he's like, prepare to give, because what's happening is, remember, I shared with the Macedonian church about your excitement about wanting to give, and I told how this, this, this uh, more financially well-off church was willing to give that it stirred up the poorer church to want to give even more. And so they've already given. They've given because of your zeal. They've given, and now the collection has come in. They've, they've fulfilled their commitment. And now what's happening is the brothers or the messengers from Macedonia are coming down to Corinth, and they're going to collect the gifts that are there, and then everyone's going to go together to Jerusalem. So Paul's like saying, hey, guys, realize... You made a commitment, you need to follow through, and if you don't, when the brothers from Macedonia come here and they see that you haven't followed through, you're going to be humiliated. And so be ready. You can avoid all this humiliation by just following through with what you've committed. So he wants them to be ready and be prepared to give. You know, it's interesting for us as managers of God, God's resources, how amazing it is that God gives us the opportunity to determine where those resources go. And as good stewards, we get a chance to decide and be prepared where we want to give those resources. And when we do that, there's never any shame. You know, there's two ways of thinking about being ready to give, right? Sometimes people give as a, a reaction, Right, we, we immediately see a need or we hear of, of someone and we react to it. But I think what Paul is talking about here is not reactive giving, which God does use, but God is, or what Paul is trying to encourage us is to think through proactive giving, where we set aside time to actually look at where we are giving our resources. Like, look at where we're spending the finances that God has given us. Are, are, is the majority of our money going to provide for, for pleasure? Is the majority of our resources going to provide things that we don't need? Are we living in excess? Taking the time to actually look, are we, are we even in a financial position where we can give? Or maybe we're so overwhelmed by debt that we've got no margin in our finances to give. So Paul's talking about being proactive. Take the time to look back, look at what you have, and then look at how much that's there that can actually be given. I know many people don't feel like they can give because they feel like they're barely making ends meet, that they're living paycheck to paycheck. But I want to tell you, if you go to the route of proactively giving, then what's going to happen is you set aside, first of all, hey, God, this is how much we're going to give. If you commit to that and prepare to give it, then what's going to happen is everything else is going to fall into place. This is the way the Lord promises to care for us, that if we exercise faith, God always provides. So we have to commit to give. We have to prepare to give. And lastly, we must cheerfully give. Look with me in verse 5. Paul writes, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised 
so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as, a, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This may be a familiar passage to you, but what Paul is trying to remind them of the fact that they need to give cheerfully, that he's already sent brothers ahead of them to give them time so they can gather their gifts together, and he's telling them that it's not coming as an exaction. This is, I don't want you to do this from a place where you feel like you have to do this. Like Paul's not saying, do it because I say so, but do it because you want to. But now you have the time to gather your gifts together. And as Paul gives us this promise, he gives us this, this picture of sowing. He says, quite frankly, you know the more you sow, the more you harvest. The more you scatter the seed, the more you're going to see it grow in abundance. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. It's interesting, though, that we have this image that flies right in the face of the way we see the world living. Right? The, the world says, hold tight to everything. Whatever you have, keep it because you may lose it. Right? Keep it so you, because you may lose it. Someone may be out there to take it away. So imagine it like this. Imagine if the God of the universe came to you and gave you a big, like, 50-pound bag of seed. Or you have a 50-pound bag of seed. And if you follow the worldly practices, what you're going to do is you're going to see that bag of seed as yours and you're going to hold to it tightly as your sense of security. right? And then what you may do is you may take some of that seed and plant it in the ground and, and it may grow and it may produce and you may eat of that. But because if you're holding on to it too tightly, then you're always going to be afraid. You're going to be afraid when you leave it in your garage that a mouse is going to come and chew a hole in the side and eat all your seed. So you're going to be constantly worried. You're going to stay awake at night wondering if that mouse is coming. And then you're going to spend a lot of your money trying to, to keep the mouse out because you're afraid of it. Now imagine if you saw that bag of seed differently. Imagine if you saw that bag of seed as a small portion of the one who owns all of the seeds. Right? And God gives you this bag of seed. And he says, now do with it as you please. And you take that seed because you know there's more where that came from. You know that God is the ultimate maker of all seeds and he's given you just a little bit of it. And so what happens instead of hoarding it, you begin to give it away because you know the more that you give away, the more that you're going to get. And you're not going to get it for yourself to amass your kingdom. But what God is going to give you, he's going to give you more and more and more so you can advance his kingdom. So as you sow bountifully, as you take that seed and you just cast it everywhere, you're saying, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. What the Lord's going to do, he's going to keep filling your bag. And he's never going to run out. That bag never runs dry. This is kingdom-sized mathematics. This is not the way the world operates. This is so counterintuitive, but this is exactly the way God operates. He says, I've given it, so just give it away. And when you give it away, do it cheerfully. Give it away, because it's the Lord's. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. But then he says this. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. 
The Lord has given you the bag of seed, but you gotta decide in your heart how much you're gonna give away. Like you have all this seed, first determine how much do you need? Of the seed that God has given you, how much do you need to care for your family? Right? He's not saying like give it away so that you're not caring for your kids and not caring for your family, but determine like how much of that do you need? How much can you live off of? And then how much of the rest of it are you gonna give away or how much of the rest of it are you gonna waste? Each must must decide in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the reality is God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves the people that love to spend his money. Right? God loves the people. It's like, here, God, it's your, or thank you, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. It's all yours because God has unlimited resources. But here's the truth of it. Not only do we give in joy, but when we give, it produces even more joy. You want to have joy? Give something away. You want to not have joy? Keep it all to yourself. God loves a cheerful giver because truly giving produces more and more joy. Don't believe me? Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus. And he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that passage tell us? To the greatest, out, the greatest uh, place of joy was Jesus going to the cross. Being scorned and, and, and enduring the wrath of God on the cross allowed Jesus to experience more joy. By giving of himself, by giving of his very life, more joy was produced and God honored that sacrifice now that Jesus has, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. You see, we need to look at life and everything from God's perspective. The greatest gift that was ever given was Jesus. And God never asks us to do something that he himself has not first done. We think giving a little bit is, is a hard thing. What if God came to you and said, I want you to give your only son? He's not asking you to do that, but he did it himself. You see, he looked at the creation, you and I, people whom he loved, and he saw that there was a problem, a deep problem. And the problem is we look at God and we reject him. We reject God's love, each one of us in our own heart. We walk away from him and we say, I know a better way. I want to live for myself. I'm going to find peace. I'm going to find security. I'm going to find safety in the things that I create in my own world. And we all know the safety, security, peace, love, and joy are not found in those places. But when we live that way, all that is produced is brokenness, hurt, pain, and shame. And yet God still loves us so much in our sin and in our shame and in our pain and in our rejection. He did the only thing that could be done to save us from ourselves. He sent Jesus 
who was fully God and fully man, who was his only begotten son to come and live the perfect life that you and I can't live. He lived in complete obedience and complete fellowship with the father and then willingly gave his life, willingly went to a cross where he endured the wrath that was due you and me and he died. And God saw his sacrifice as enough, raised him from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Sacrificial giving is shown greatest when we look to Jesus. And through his sacrifice, it produces immeasurable joy. When we give, it produces joy inside of us as well. So let me leave you with a couple of things before we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I want to encourage you, especially as we start this new fiscal year here in the church, is to take time to commit to give. Commit to give. Say, okay, this year, God, this is going to be the year we're going to set aside. Then determine how much you're going to give. To set aside, maybe you have a family meeting and you just say, hey, family, this is what we're going to do. Off your line, once this kids, how much do you want to give? Because your mom and I are going to give out of this. Or maybe you're single and you just need to have a meeting with yourself. Go to your kitchen table and sit down with yourself and have a meeting. And in your hearts, determine how much you're going to give. And then throughout the year, cheerfully give. Because God has so lavishly and generously given to us. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, remembering Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Remember that night as Jesus uh, is getting ready to go to the cross, he gathers his disciples close. And as he's preparing them, they have no idea what really is to come, but he's preparing them. And he gives them this meal. And in the meal, he takes two elements. The first is bread. And he breaks the bread. And he says, this bread symbolizes my broken body, which will be for you. You see, sin has a penalty. Sin has punishment, and it has to be paid by the person that has sinned. But Jesus says, no, I'm gonna step in your place, and I'm gonna receive your punishment, and my body will be broken. And then he takes the cup, and he says, this cup symbolizes my blood, which will be spilled for you. Through the shedding of Jesus' blood, forgiveness is given. So this morning, as we take this meal together, let us remember of the cost that provided us freedom and allows us to experience true joy. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, we thank you for the greatest display of love through the sending of Jesus and through the sacrifice of Jesus. And Father, we here this morning realize that apart from him, we are nothing. And apart from him, we have nothing. And apart from him, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. And without him, we still look forward to a future where we will have to endure the wrath of God ourselves. But Father, for those whom believe in you, knowing that that wrath has already been averted, that wrath has been poured out on Jesus, And so, Father, this morning, as we take this bread and we take this cup, help us to remember the price of our sin that was paid for by the pure, spotless Lamb of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your love 
was displayed through sacrifice. And may we, as we take this bread and cup, remember that sacrifice and may we live with a heart of generosity and experience an abundant joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.